0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. And Jesus, simply because you love us, and knowing that you are one who has first loved us, we are eternally grateful for your love, your steadfast love that never fails us, nor does it change. We thank you for your immutability and the fact that things that we feel go in cycles. They ebb and flow and they go up and down. You never change. We're incredibly grateful for that. And we praise you. And we ask God that you bless your word. Allow it to be a word that will speak to our hearts and our minds. Use me now, Lord, to encourage your people. Hide me beneath your cross. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said. This morning we are on the ninth commandment, and I will read that briefly, because it is brief. Okay. Uh, It is uh, a joy to see you all. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of God. Many of us, even in falling in line with what Adriana was explaining, that we all feel the tension of living a Christian life, but yet we know that we've broken every commandment here. Right? And so, we, our intentions, and like we said from the inception of this series, is not for us to feel the guilt the weight and the shame because we know what Jesus did about that. So when we look at the the 10th commandment, I mean the 9th commandment, we see that it actually highlights the big idea of this entire series that we've been trying to go through. And that is, is that we, as we've entitled it, we, we desire and should desire intimacy with God, which leads to intimacy with one another. This commandment actually encourages us to live this out in terms of the covenant vows that we've made toward one another. That we adhere to our membership vows knowing that we will continue to promote the unity, the purity, and the peace of the church on the behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we do this by not bearing false witness or not being false witnesses against one another to others. And we know that because God's word helps us with that. Many of us would think about this as simply being a lie. So I thought about, I read a story by a guy named Alex Santana. 1989, Princeton University, The admissions office was astounded by this young man's resume. Because when he described his life, what he said in this freshman class is this exactly. He had barely received any formal training. He spent his adolescence almost entirely on his own, living outdoors in Utah where he herded cows, raised sheep, and read philosophy. Running the Mojave Desert, this man trained himself to be a distant runner. He was amazing. Santana rose quickly to become a star on this particular campus until one day, the admissions office discovered this young man was lying he did none of the above in fact James Hugo 31 years old who had served a prison sentence in Utah of possession of stolen tools and bike parts was taken in handcuffs from Princeton University we know in our society today through guys like Bernie Madoff People who are politicians, even scientists who have directly lied about things that they have accomplished. Or deceived others by stealing from them. Lying, as it turns out, in several studies, is something that we as human beings are most adept at. You wouldn't believe it, but many of us call them white lies. If it's a small lie, then it's okay. But we don't see how we are becoming great liars. Because we lie in small ways. We lie in big ways to our strangers, to coworkers, to our friends, or to our loved, loved ones. And our capacity for dishonesty honesty, is fundamentally at the core of who we are as human beings. Without Jesus Christ. And what's ironic is that being deceitful is simply woven into the fabric of our society if we can get over on the next individual then we get promotions right if we can capitalize on the weak the oppressed then we are ones who deserve power and authority but that's the exact opposite of what the ninth commandment teaches us the ninth commandment does more than simply show us that we should not lie. It doesn't simply prohibit lying, but it deals with the identity of the individual in the context of gospel community. It's calling us to bear truthfulness to one another. And in bearing truthfulness to one another, this then reflects the name of God in order to promote a truthful community of believers. What am I saying? If I want you to take anything from the things that I'm saying this morning, it's this. Jot it down, write it, don't forget it. That the integrity of a gospel community is compromised when we witness falsely to one another and when we bear false witness to one another. Dealing directly with what we say and what we do. I want you to think about this in two ways as witnesses we must speak truth to one another but then also as witnesses must be authentic to our neighbors be authentic to your neighbor if we were to look at this because I was thinking about how, how in the Old Testament community were they able to see these particular things And we have to understand that the ninth commandment in the context of the Old Testament community was all about the legal testimony. That if you were to break the ninth commandment, it was actually in the context of a capital punishment. Or you were in the court of law where your particular witness would either be able to distort the facts or tell true facts. But whatever you did, you can tell those facts to harm your neighbor or things that are false to harm your neighbor. And the legal witness actually carried the power to dictate whether your neighbor in the Old Testament community would live or die. The very words of the individual, actually, the life of the individual was predicated upon the light, uh, the witness of their neighbor. That's powerful. And that shows us even deeper when Deuteronomy 17, 7 says, well then the one... The one who makes this witness, the one that makes this claim, should be the first one to cast the stone. If you're so sure of it, then you be the first one to stone the individual that you are convicting as a criminal. So the ninth commandment clearly demonstrates that the witness in criminal cases are essential to dictating whether justice is served. On the other hand, if a witness is found to be deceiving, though, in the court's They, this person or persons would actually have to suffer the consequences in which they've accused upon another person. So if they witnessed falsely and they were found witnessing falsely, then what would happen to them? They would either die or be beaten due to their witness. What am I getting to? We see that in the Old Testament, even because... You have humanity dictating these things. It's flawed. The justice system is flawed. I can talk about this morning how the ninth commandment actually can speak to how our judicial system and our governing structures are flawed because how they oppress individuals. I can talk all day long about how the ninth commandment and what we see in our communities what we see in the education system what we see in our own society I mean I'm 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 mad at the city right now because I got grass in an empty lot this tall next to me and I've been calling them my neighbor's been calling them and nobody has answered my voicemail I'm going down there to get justice amen somebody if you work for the city let me know I got a problem but the reality is, is that we see this being flawed even in our church structure. We see this as an issue of being flawed. But here it is. What I want to focus on this morning is directly how this affects the integrity of the gospel community. If someone has ever bear witness, false witness against you, I want to speak to how our community ought to respond how we ought to be witnesses of truthfulness so our first point is as witnesses we ought to speak truth the way we speak truth we ought to do it in love because Proverbs 25, 18 actually describes a a false witnessing individual he says a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow this is the exact opposite of speaking truth this is Condemning, this is divisive, this is not loving, this is not trying to bring, be truthful but hostile and breaking the covenant with one another. In fact, As we unpack what it means to speak truth, we have to think about this in the context of love and what it means to actually be a witness. Many of you have thought, okay, well, well, when I think about a witness, somebody has always told me, well, won't you go witness to your friends or to your family in in, in the context of evangelism? But in the Bible, we never really see witness as a command. We, we don't see witnesses as a command. What we see as a command is to preach, to teach, and to proclaim. And we get this from Isaiah 43, 10 and 12. You see it right here where he says, You are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be another um, one after me. And then in verse 12, he says, I reveal and I saved and proclaim, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Here we see that a witness is not merely about what you say. It's not simply the words that you say, but it's actually what you are and what you do. It's frame who says this, that God has already made us witnesses. He's not commanding us to go to be witnesses. He's, he's made us. It's our identity to be witnesses. We have no choice in the matter. The only choice that we have is this, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young and old. Y'all know I'm silly. Is this. The only choice that we have, listen to me, is to be truthful, God-honoring witnesses are deceitful witnesses that follow after Satan, who's the father of lies. So how does this work in the context of the integrity of our community? What it does is mean that we encourage each other to speak truth and be truthful witnesses. In other words, I like to coin the phrase that we, not coin the phrase, but switch it up just a little bit, that we ought to practice what we speak. Practicing what we speak means that we don't gospel, gossip or, or, or slander one another. We don't speak cancerous words that would demean our community and brothers and sisters due to how we view each other or where we are, nor do we do things that we feel is going to attack the person's identity. Everything that we say should be gracious. Do we do it perfectly? Absolutely no. But if we were to pray one particular scripture, I would say pray Colossians 4 and 6, where it actually says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. My spiritual mother would say, this is shut mouth grace. Well, you know what to say and what not to say. I mean, there were times in my own marriage, Where I've said what I wasn't supposed to say. But she still loves me by the grace of God. Amen, somebody. But the reality is we do that to one another. We do it in subtle ways. Even when we walk into the door, we don't realize how the devil, the father of lies, tries to deceive us. One who may be receiving the actual conversation. Other than the one that is giving the conversation. How we can actually attack each other but not even know it. But see, understanding that we don't want to do this, what happens is, in order to practice what we speak, we have to begin demolishing every preconceived notion that we come to this particular text with. I mean, I want you to think about this. If I were to let my conversation be seasoned with salt, then I would watch how I text you. I won't just say a text. I would think and be mindful of what I am actually saying. I won't just speak my mind in a moment. I won't just say what I feel is truth to me. I would actually consider my neighbor and begin to speak truth to them because of how I know and understand them to be. But then also, in order to demolish these preconceived notions that we may have, uh, I mean preconceived ideas that we have about one another, the integrity of our community should be built on truthfulness and honesty. It should be built on truthfulness and honesty. This means that this is a place where you are not only known, but you know others. You're not only known, but you know others. We should be wrestling always in this community and where we're living in with one another on how to love, how to care, how to seek the interest. What we're saying, we should be wrestling with that. We should be frustrated when we don't necessarily get it right because those that are lonely, living in isolation, feel like they don't have, they can be welcome in this place. We should initially, immediately fight to make sure they feel welcome fight to make sure that we're doing everything on our behalf. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, no matter the color, no matter the age, no matter the demographic, we should always have a mind of hospitality, even in the way that we pursue relationships. So immediately, when we come in here, it's easy to always sit next to the same person. Or to have the same conversation with the same individuals on the same sun, on this Sunday, always knowing that you feel comfortable in that same position with that same person. But see, what I am saying and trying to emphasize is that if everything is the same, then how are you diversifying and looking for diversity in our own congregation? The challenge is, we cannot say that we're in, we're trying to fight for, the to to make sure the the integrity of our gospel community is intact when we don't pursue each other. I know, this is difficult, this is hard. But, I want somebody to invite me to lunch this afternoon. Um, The reason I say that is because of this. The reason I say that is because of this. There's an elder couple in our congregation every Sunday, almost every Sunday, they take about two Sundays out of the month. They invite people to their house for lunch, randomly. And if you're on our staff and they invite you, they know that they have to have 15 different alternative ingredients in order to have you over. Because our staff alone, not this congregation, just our staff, we got vegans, we got gluten-free, we got people that don 't eat cheese eggs, potatoes they don 't eat nothing but water. they just drink water so you know when you invite somebody on the staff to you you can invite me, I eat anything okay but 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 when you invite one to somebody else you may you may have to have a whole different kind of menu okay but but um, they know i 'm joking with them but but the reality is the reality is this couple actually takes time to sacrifice in order because there are people who have particular. Meals or particular things that they that they that they, they can't eat. And so what they do is, if that's the case, that week they can't make it, but they'll make provisions for the next week. That's being considerate. Not only in word, but also in deed. It's small, yes, but I I guarantee the small things that we do, we will do them in big moments. I guarantee it. Those small moments in which we invite people, just like this elder couple, into our house to sing songs, to get to know each other with fellowship, to actually read scripture and encourage each other. That, isn't that what the Bible, body of Christ is about? Isn't that what we should be doing on a regular basis? Even if you consider this place, if you can, whether you consider this place to be your, your regular church home, meaning that you're a regular visitor, you've been visiting for about 15 years or if you've actually been a member, you're a member, or not. This is a place where where you're growing and developing spiritually. And so, what this means, if we are truthful witnesses in deed and in word, what it means then is that we are intentionally not being passive, but trying to connect with people in our own church family. Meaning we make room in our lives... For these individuals that are in this congregation to know us. That's important. Why is it important? Because I even think about how last week I met with a, I was a somewhere and someone was like immediately after service. When we encourage all of you guys to invite somebody, who, if you're in a community group, to your community group, it happened. A family was like, somebody invited us to a community group the same day and we attended the same day. It was perfect. Why is that important? It's a small thing, but that family appreciated being welcomed, invited. And I appreciate our members who do that and those who who desire to do that. I don't want us to think that going above and beyond means we compromise. No, I think when we don't go above and beyond, we compromise the integrity of our community. So we speak truth, both in word and deed. As witnesses but I also want you to see this that as witnesses we ought to be authentic to our neighbor we have to be authentic to our neighbor because if we were to think about what it means to be a neighbor in the Old Testament it was one who said this that the dominant impression one gets from the book of the Covenants meaning the the Pentateuch it it would be um, the means in which by it would be it, it would mean to be a man in its society is to be a man What is to be a man, one is not essentially an individual. It's not essentially an individual, a self-determining moral agent. But rather a member of a band of neighbors. Something like a band of brothers, but without the implication of kinship. There is barely a whiff of social hierarchy here. This is what the commentator says, and so he says that neighbors include rich and poor, thieves and bribe givers, feckless and irresponsible, unneighborly neighbors, but but they are still neighbors. They are expected to look out for for each other, maintaining the fair system for for solving problems and resolving resolving conflict. That was a lie. But let me let me let me illustrate this by this. My wife is a is a better neighbor than I am. Guaranteed, a better neighbor than I am. When I would come home, there would be so many kids on our porch. So when I when I grew up, my my mother had this look the where if we had people at the house and we were outside, she would look and everybody would just run. I've adopted that same thing. When I pull into the driveway, I just look and the kids just like, okay, Mr. Davis on we gone. But what what it is is no matter the age, no matter who the individual is, we ought to be neighbors to one another because what neighboring does is we I, we actually have the ability to share the hope of Jesus Christ and we realize that our neighbors are individuals that are in this sanctuary. Also, our neighbors are people that are in our own communities. And In order for us to be authentic witnesses and neighbors to one another, what we have to do is we can't offer empty promises. That's number one. To keep the integrity of our gospel community intact by being authentic neighbors to one another, we cannot give empty promises. And the reason being is, is when we don't make it, about our self-centered promises of what we're going to do, which we want, we want people to rely on this, what we acknowledge is our deficiencies, and we point people to God's sufficiency. That seems like, oh, that's, that's small, but that's not big, but that's what Jesus says, and it actually helps us understand the broader context of what it means to be a neighbor in Matthew 5 and 37, when he says, Jesus says this, all you need to say is simply yes or no, But anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is where he's saying, let your yes be yes and your your no be no. Why is that important? Well, because in the Levitical law, what it meant to bear false witness is actually to profane God's name, which swear falsely. And so they would say things like the Pharisees would swear on the temple, uh, would swear on the temple gold, but not on the temple. They would swear on, they would not, I mean they would swear on the temple, but not on the temple gold. They would swear on the, the altar, but not on the gift of the altar. They would swear by their own name or their own body. And what Jesus is saying is that you don't own yourself. You can't count a hair on your head. And what is the difference between swearing by the gift on the altar and and swearing by the altar? What's the difference between swearing on the temple gold and the temple? There is nothing because why? Jesus' lordship owns everything. And so he makes it far more personal for the Pharisees to see that, oh, uh, it's not simply that you're, you're trying not to swear by the name of God. Even when you swear by yourself, you're swearing or profaning the name of God. Why? Because you're witnesses of the Lord. I know, I'm boring y'all this morning. But I want you to get this. I want you to get this, seriously. What Jesus is trying to help us see is that what it requires... To build a community that is trustworthy, that is authentic, it requires us to be neighbors, to know our neighbors, and to pursue, both in word and deed, as witnesses, knowing what Jesus has done for us. How can you illustrate this more, Mike? Well, last week we invited new members to our church, and they took five vows vow four four and vowel five. And in these vows they said, the first one, do you promise to serve Christ in his, in his church by supporting and participating with the congregation in its service of God? And and its ministry to others to the best of your ability. That's that's vow four. Then he says, I mean, then we say in number five, do you submit yourself to the government and the discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and the spiritual oversight of the church session? And do you promise to promote the unity, the purity, and the peace of the church? Listen, this is pretty self-explanatory. But if we are to maintain gospel community, the integrity of the gospel community, we have to adhere to these vows. How do we do this by serving in the nursery? When Terrence and, 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 and Rebecca and also Tawanda are asking us to be a part of the Cooper program, making sure that we're the first ones to do that, why? Because we've taken vows to commit ourse- to commit ourselves to it. That's what we've done. And we want to be good stewards of that, so when Aaron asks us to, can you serve on the hospitality team, or can you help and set up or anything else, oh, we're asking you to use your God-given gifts in this body. If you have a gift, we, God wants us to be a body that serves one another through those gifts. Parents. Even in your own home, you are vowing yourself, just like we did, we said here in this baptism, to teach your child, to pray with them, to make sure you're nurturing them in the spirit, in the admonition, in the nurture of the Lord. Demonstrating a reality of what it means to be a family. So how do we serve our church family? We don't serve our church family by devaluing each other, by not honoring the covenant vows that we made. Right? We don't do that. We actually show value to one another by the way that we sacrifice. But also, it's another word by the way that we actually share. So, in addition to this reality of of making sure that we serve in these different capacities, not because we want to serve for service sake, but because we want to be a blessing to our neighbors. We want to be authentic to one another. What happens is there's a fundamental aspect of promoting the unity, the purity, and the peace of the church, and it's sharing mentality. A sharing mentality. What's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. My wife used to sing this in the drive thru because we struggle with drive thru ministry. Okay? I say, Baby, is there anything you want from the Chick fil A menu? Because I go there and I tithe every week to Chick fil A. <laughs> Gotta make sure I'm paying my tithes and offerings. And she says, Oh, you know what? I'm not hungry today. I'm like, oh, Okay, okay, okay. I'll make sure I get MJ, you want something? Oh. Okay, I give myself something, right? I make sure I get my meal. And I'm all situated. And when I get home, you know, the first thing, even before I get home, I'm reaching in the bag for the fries. I get a salad and fries. Don't judge me. And so as I reach in the bag and I get my fries, somebody else is reaching in my bag and distributing my fries. And it's ungodly. And it get real ugly. And what happens is, is that, you know, I need to pray that the Holy Ghost keep me. Because I'm frustrated because I don't have as many fives that I had initially, because I don't want to share. <laughs> but my wife would used to sing this song: "What's yours is mine, it was mine is yours. The more we share, I thought she used to say, the more we care, but is the more the sun will shine, right? But this reality in which what was already mine was hers, because we were family. And you know this song comes from All Dogs Go to Heaven." So I had to gospelize it, right? It was like, the sun will shine. I said, Oh my goodness, when I'm sharing, Jesus is shining. Lord have mercy. That's a word. I said, Well, you would take that home. But see, the selflessness in this requires me always to think that even if they don't get anything from the menu, whatever I have is theirs. Many of us come in here thinking that we all attribute something, that if you do your job, then I'll do my job. No, the reality is a sharing mentality says, if my brother or sister cannot do, then I always do regardless. This is neighboring to one another and not bearing this false witness of that I am going to adhere to these vows, but I'm not going to adhere to them according to these particular standards. God rules and reigns over our lives. Thus, if we understand this in the context of the first table of the law, we know that we are actually adhering ourselves to God and Him alone. That's why He says He's God and God alone. So if there's anybody in our congregation that feels as if you have to be begged or pulled on to neighbor to one another, then we're missing the context of what God is saying. When you neighbor with one another, you're actually worshiping me. And what it also shows is that it's not showing that you are attributing social norms to your own church body by meaning that you have to give something in order to receive something. Does that make sense? And so that what that means is sharing is sacrificial. And we do this by neighboring each other in our workplaces, also in our own communities. One of the things is, is it is difficult to neighbor in your workplace, in your community, in your gym, at your local grocery store when you're not clothing your mind in the way that you want to care for yourself. That's why Leviticus 19, 18 says that you want to care for your neighbor as you care for yourself. Because if you see someone struggling with their grocery basket, an old lady into the store, you want to make sure you help her. If you see someone struggling carrying their bags, you want to make sure you help them. If you see your neighbor struggling, You want to make sure that you are caring in every way because this idea of, which I know I was taught, just mind your own business and leave other people's alone means that we carry that same mentality when we neighbor with one another. I got to brag on my wife once again. You know, she did good this week. She graduated from nursing school. Amen. Glory to God. And so... and so, so the reason I'm bragging on her because she's way better at neighboring than I am. Okay, I have fully adopted and the Lord is still sanctifying me, okay, and trying to think about others. One day, outside of our own home, two dogs of our neighbors are outside. My wife says, Mike. I said, yes. The man is about to shoot the dogs outside. I said, let's mind our own business and stay in the house. She said, no, I can save the dogs. I said, let's mind our own business and stay inside. My wife put the, the, the cape on. And she had, she had two biscuits. And she went outside. The man hosted his gun, his weapon, and the dog is barking. Right? And I was just like, that was the day that the dog was going to see his. He was going to go to heaven. That was it for him. But God sent somebody. Amen. And what she did was, she intervened in that particular situation why because our neighbors were gone they were out of town for the week and the dog continued to hop the fence and she thought to herself i would want somebody to care for my dog like i would care for their dog now we're talking about a dog okay my dog she on her own i'm sorry but but the reality is in in all seriousness here's the key piece of this puzzle that if we are to speak truth and love and neighbor to one another in a reality that also it keeps the integrity of our community you know who is the best truthful witnesses witness who intervened at a time when we were about to die when we were hostile enemies to Christ but at the right time as the hymn says that he died for us and when he stood before Caiaphas and the council and they gave false testimonies on his behalf saying that he was blaspheming you know what he did he stood at the cross and he he us by what he did on the cross and those nails pierced hands actually feed feed, freed us from our death from the tragedy from the destruction that was on our lives he is the truthful witness he is the one that was bruised beaten and wounded so that we may be able to stand on the truth that gives our community the integrity to keep it intact he is the one that stood on our behalf it was his blood That washes us. And we can stand on this notion. That his victory is one that was achieved. So that we don't have to do. But look to him for what he has already done. So let us love each other. In that way. Pray with me. Father we love you and we bless you. We thank you Jesus. That your word is a word that guides us and leads us. In every direction and area of our life. And we pray Jesus that even as moments of trial and tribulation come, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you continue to remind us of your grace and your mercy, which follows us all the days of our lives. Help us, Lord Jesus, to adhere to your word so that our ways may be pure, so that we may continue to seek the unity, the peace, and the purity of your church. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said.